Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, hello, and welcome back to me, to you, and all of us. Here we are again, uh, the Monday after I, Cyber Monday. God, I hate it. Uh, anyway, uh, November 26th. 2018. Can't believe November's almost done. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I did. Um, nothing like family, huh? You can assume that means whatever you want it to mean. Uh, and I hope that those of you with uh, families of that have opposing political views in them did not have a total horror. I really do. But man, I, I can't imagine. I really can't. I'm so lucky. Um, I, I also uh, have to admit that I pretty much took a vacation from the news. Uh, so it was just this morning that I finally dipped back in, which uh, I guess is responsible for that sigh you might have just <laughs> heard. Oh, dear God. I mean, I knew nothing um, of what had happened uh, over the weekend and especially this uh, this tear gassing thing of uh, children at the border. I, it's just, you know, our country right now is engaging in activities that rogue nations, that evil nations engage in. Uh, we are party to the catastrophic starvation of children in Yemen. How much do we hear about that? We are aiding, abetting the Saudi government in its, I think now, three-year war in Yemen. Um, all world health and humanitarian organizations are saying that uh, it is already catastrophic. Uh, I'm sure that many of you have seen pictures that are unbearable of starving infants held in their mother's arms. And we are, the United States of America, our tax dollars, are helping the aggressors in that war. We have no reason to be doing so other than our love, I guess, of the Saudis who are about as vile and uh, an admin a kingdom as uh, exists in the world today. So imagine that. We are, uh, how can you feel proud to be an American? We are responsible right now for killing children and for turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to their suffering. It's a fact. No wonder the other part of America loves to live in a fact-free zone. It must make sleeping easier. It just must make your day a lot brighter. And now these pictures of Barefoot children in diapers crying and running from tear gas sprayed 
at them by us. They posed, those children posed no threat to us. I actually was looking at property um, in Canada <laughs> over the holiday. Uh, my brother is the one who started that. Um, and he and his wife actually found a house in a small town in um, Ontario, not far, not far away. It is the loveliest old house, affordable, four bedrooms, could be used as a, you know, a second vacation kind of a home if you want. We're thinking about it, not as a, a permanent move, but knowing there's a haven somewhere if it just gets to the point where I cannot tolerate being party to this country's actions. I don't know how people can sing the national anthem now. I understand taking an E and every, because I mean, if you, first of all, the words don't, I mean, never liked it anyway, but it has roused me on occasion. Uh, but I can't, and I can't now pledge allegiance to this country because I don't feel it. And that saddens the heck out of me, but I can't. Land of the free. <laughs> yeah, I guess for some. Home of the brave. Oh, yeah. Last time I looked, brave people don't shoot tear gas at women and babies. Last time I looked, brave people don't cower and feel they're being invaded by desperate people. Unarmed. And then, I'm sorry, just to be... Um, I mean, I, I think it was one of you, maybe Kurt, who emailed me these thoughts, and it was something about how, you know, we just came off the Thanksgiving holiday, and, you know, those of us who know history, a lot of these traditions <laughs> that we grew up with and that still resonate with us by virtue of the fact that they are, they have become times when we gather with family, and um, those traditions can be very special. But for those who know the history, if you think about it, Thanksgiving Day is really just white people. <laughs> think about it. White people thanking, being thankful for having uh, been not given, but taking, <laughs> taking a land away from the people who are already here. And if you follow that history a little further, then doing unspeakable things to those people, slaughtering them, either intentionally or not, but with uh, germs, genociding whole tribes, forcing them, Trump's favorite president, Andrew Jackson, forcing them from their ancestral homelands on forced marches, death marches, putting them on reservations 
making treaties with them that we did not honor. Think about it. And I guess the people who don't like to live with reality and history probably don't like to because it's more difficult. Because then I, everything is very complicated. Right. And we're not the good guys all the time. We're not the good guys much of the time. So that's what Thanksgiving celebrates. At least when I, in school, you know, you drew all the pilgrims. And, and then we make a country out of this land we took. And we count only white people as people. We enslave black people and say they're of value, only three, valued as three-fifths of a person. Obviously, we did a lot of things that are admirable, too, and I am not discounting them, but I, I find it <coughs> difficult, especially with our current president, and an entire major political party gone literally to the dark side, to a side that is as un-American in the way I want to think about America as it can be. And then that Thanksgiving Day is followed immediately, actually even before the dishes get cleared. Some people are racing out to engage in the other most American activity. And that is mindless consumerism. Crazed consumerism. We are much less inclined to be s responsible citizens, much more inclined to be crazed consumers. And frankly, that's the way the people in power want it. They don't want us to pay attention to our citizenship responsibilities. They simply want us to spend, to keep the engine of the economy going by our insatiable lust for stuff. And it continues through the weekend and then to today, Cyber Monday. Our job is now to spend. I, I've always noted that in this period uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, if you look, you know, with all the happy lights up and uh, look at people. Look at people's faces if you're in a shopping area, which likely you will be. If you're at a mall or if you're, if you're actually one of those people who still gets out of a chair to shop. People don't look happy. They don't look happy. They look grim. <laughs> they, look, they look stressed. They're spending money they sometimes don't have. It's an orgy of consumerism and craziness, I think. So this is my least favorite time of the year. It could be a lovely time of the year, couldn't it, if we took the time to actually celebrate a holiday, not with consumerism, but by thinking about if this is about the birth of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. It seems like it would be better spent reading what he preached 
and then living it. And it would not be tear-gassing children and aiding and embedding evil people who are starving and killing other children half a world away. Right? Wouldn't. Okay. Just wanted to see. I'm back. Anyone wanted to get depressed? Here I am. It's, uh, there was a piece in, I think, the Wall Street Journal. And it was about the fact that those of us who live in first world nations, those of us who live in uh, relative ease compared to many, 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 many humans on this globe, those of us who are not stressed by I wonder if I can find food to eat tomorrow, but are stressed by, oh, which salad dressing do I want? There's so many salad dressings here I can't choose. We are stressed often by abundance. In fact, there's a word for it. It's called choice overload. And it's when sociologists and psychologists look at what stresses Americans out, it's actually little things like that that we get paralyzed and overwhelmed by all of the choices we have to make on a daily basis. And if you think about it, a lot of those choices have to do again with consumerism. That or that, or, oh my, maybe that. There's no end to the possibilities of what we can be made to want. And choice overload, it is literally a modern illness that is debilitating to some people. You know, if you live in North Korea, you don't have it. If you uh, live in Yemen, you don't have it. The Haitians don't uh, struggle with this. I think they've got more important things to worry, to worry about. But this piece was about the pessimism reflex. The fact that those of us who live in abundance, in relative abundance and security, are the most pessimistic people in the world. Every study done comes out with this counterintuitive finding that people living in poor, poor countries are happier than those of us besotted and besieged by constant choice and want, never able to satiate, never able to catch up. So this goes into a lot of different things, but one, it starts with um, a question that was asked of people uh, in this country, and I believe all over the world, because I think this actually began with a study being done in Sweden. And the question was, in the last 20 years, has the percentage of the world's population that lives in extreme poverty nearly doubled, stayed the same, or been cut in half in the last 20 years. Number of people in extreme poverty nearly doubled, stayed the same, actually cut in half. 
And when we are asked that question, 95% of Americans answer it incorrectly. Only 5% of Americans answered that question correctly. And the correct answer is the rate of extreme poverty in the globe has been cut in half in the last 20 years. And it was pointed out that a chimpanzee just at random answering uh, that question would have done better than us. So how do, how do you account for the fact that we are, the Americans' assumption is that things are awful. Things might be okay with them. Usually Americans say, I'm doing okay, but everything else is awful. Now, I thought that, you know, it could be if you have a president who literally on his inaugural day talks about carnage <laughs> and on Thanksgiving Day his first tweet was something like, the world is a horrible, frightening, awful, dangerous place or something like that. It could also be how we consume information and news and how news is always what is going wrong. News is rarely what is going right, right? So it paints, we get a skewed picture of what's going on in the world. This is nothing new. I remember thinking, if I watch the local television news night after night after night, I'd be scared out of my mind. And it explains why so many Americans live in such terror. How they won't let their kid go outdoors by themselves. Um, how they assume that somebody is, of course, going to break into their house. And so they need every manner of, of defense. Because all the news is feeding us is the bad stuff. And that's because news is what is not the norm. But somehow then we conflate all of those images and think the world, Pittsburgh is incredibly dangerous. Why, there's neighborhoods I wouldn't, black people are dangerous. Right? We see black people in handcuffs a lot for being taken into custody, right? That was something TV news did. They never went on busts in Mount Lebanon. I remember as a TV reporter, sometimes the cops would call up and say, do you want to, we're doing a drug bust, do you want to come with us? So it would be a really cool story for your news. Well, sure we do. Those busts were always in the Hill District or <laughs> Homewood. They don't do a drug bust in, you know, Squirrel Hill and take us with them. So we, there's a reason that we assume that things are bad. Bombings, accidents, murders, oy, 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 scandals, disasters. If it bleeds, it leads. That's the news biz, which is why I caution people to not immerse themselves in too much news. It's depressing. And it is not a clear picture of what is going on. I would watch local news before I stopped watching it and think, this is not in any way representative of the Pittsburgh I know. In any way. And so there have been times when news stations have tried to do happier news, tell people what's happening that's going well. 
And you will see, like I know the NBC Nightly News does that toward the end. They always have feel-good stories. Well, we're always saying we want to see that, but we really don't. Because every time a station will try to focus on positive news, their ratings plummet. It's been tried. Nobody wants to watch it. And the reason, so we're pessimistic also, though, because... um, it makes sense, I mean, just in terms of survival instinct, right, to be on guard, to assume something bad can happen, right? So it's sort of built in. Because bad news usually is more important than good news. It's immediate and it's often something that you do need to pay attention to. Also, this thing about we airbrush, this is all studies that have been shown how um, how people function in the world. We airbrush the past. We know that. So we look with nostalgia back on what was. And there's, for some reason, we have a tendency to forget the bad stuff and to remember only the good. And there's a term for that, too. It's called a reminiscence bump. So, the reality is the world is actually in better shape than most people think it is. But our human psychology uh, likes to focus on the negative, and there is a huge news industry, and a charitable industry too, by the way, that is constantly bombarding us with the negative. If any organization wants to raise money, they're not going to show you, (laughs) what are they going to do? You know, you're going to see pathetic, you know, puppies. You're, you're, you're going to uh, be shown a list of horrors in our criminal justice system. You're going to be uh, terrified into um, this could happen to you. This is, we live in an environment where we are constantly bombarded by the negative. Um... Oh, no, set set me something about selective. Okay, there you got it. This is a New York Times article um, called Too Many Choices, a problem that can paralyze. And it shows a picture (laughs) of a man paralyzed in front of a display of lettuce. I have a story I've told you before, but it's one of those events that happened to me in my life that I will never forget because it was the first time I became aware of, I'm going to use the word obscenity, the obscenity of our plenty. It was Mikhail Gorbachev was the was the head of the Soviet Union, if that places it in time. I was a television reporter here in Pittsburgh. Perestroika, remember that? And Glasnost had come into the picture, and the Soviet Union, for the first time, was opening a little bit. And Soviet citizens were being allowed out to maybe travel. And I was sent to do a story in Penn Hills where a woman, 
an older woman was getting ready to greet her brother. They had been separated from each other sometime before or immediately after World War II. Somehow she got here and he stayed there. And because all of a sudden he could travel, he, she sent him a ticket and to come and see me in America. And I was going to do this feel-good story about this. Imagine siblings who hadn't seen each other in 40, 50 years. And I, to do the story, wanted to just show him some things about America. So I took him away from his sister and we went over to the nearest giant eagle. Because at the time in the Soviet Union, they had lines. You stood in line forever and maybe you got a loaf of bread. You stood in line. If you finally got into the store, there were like a few cans on the counters. I mean, you know. Hey. So I thought, I'm going to show them. The land of plenty. And we first walked through the produce section. And I, you know, I'm just constantly sort of checking his. He was, <laughs> he was just blown away. By so much. And then we rounded the bend. And I don't know if it, it might have been the first aisle we went up. Let's, I can't remember what it was. Let's make it cereal. He stood, stopped, and looked left and looked right at all of these things. And he started shaking his head. He was disgusted by it. He was He said, he, very faltering English, he said, too much, too much. And it's the first time that I saw <laughs> that it was too much. Why all these choices? I thought he'd be wowed, and he was disgusted. He was angered. I still have a little pin of Lenin that he gave me. <laughs> I don't wear my Lenin pin too often, but uh, I do have it. But that was the first time that I, an American... And we Americans are idiots. We don't travel a lot. We don't know. We think whatever is here is what is. And to see this man, much older than I, who'd had a lot harder of a life, I'm thinking I'm going to wow him. Hey, look what we got. And he was clearly disgusted. We made a pretty quick exit. So after that, I became, I would look at things often through his eyes. You go in to buy some toothpaste. Dear God in heaven, let's even narrow it down to Colgate or Crest. You're still not anywhere near home free, right? You want it to whiten, or you want it for sensitive teeth, you want it for tartar control, or do you want it for this, 
Ooh, we want it mint or do you want it? But and this, if you think that living in this ridiculous, overwhelming choice is good, it is not. It literally is a stressor. And those of us who live in first world countries are stressed. Stressed by the very things we think we love. Living in a rich nation where anything we desire is available to us. So, the Trump administration put out the congressionally mandated climate report that they had to uh, do. Uh, when did they put it out? Friday. Um, they dumped it right after Thanksgiving when nobody is paying attention to the news. Classic. Uh, they did that, of course, because the climate report, even coming out of the Trump administration, because it's done by scientists and was already underway before Trump came in, uh, are, as these reports often are, warning of imminent peril, <laughs> speaking of bad news again. The first such report, they're mandated now uh, every four years, and this would be by congressional action. So the first report came out in the Obama administration in 2014, and it too had dire warnings about uh, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, all that stuff, and what the impact was. And as a result of that report, the president at the time, Obama, came out with a bunch of climate change regulations designed to address these problems which is, of course, what any responsible administration would do. Why have the report <laughs> if you're not going to act? And so the Clean Power Plan was created, and that meant that emissions from coal uh, fired power plants had to come way, way, way down. Obama then played a leading role in helping to broker the Paris Agreement, the global reaction. Donald Trump was in office for all of like two seconds before he started dismantling everything he could that we, the American people, under another administration, had done to respond to this threat. He pulled us out of the Paris Agreement. He reversed the emissions controls for coal-powered coal-powered uh, power plants, coal-fired power plants. And he has continued unabated. We now know that actually the head of the Environmental Protection Agency is a former coal lobbyist.
the report says that no area of this country will be untouched. And that's assuming we even act. It says that the droughts and then fires that we see in California and other parts of the Southwest will also occur in the Southeast. So expect the same kind of wildfires in southeastern states. And they're not prepared for that. They're prepared for hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding, but wildfires, no. Um, in Alaska, it is assumed that the melting sea ice will encroach on coastal areas where obviously there are a lot of people living and that people are going to have to move. There won't be any holding the sea back. And so there'll be whole cities and towns that are going to have to be moved. In Puerto Rico, as if they haven't enough trouble, and the Virgin Islands, their water supply is likely to become contaminated with seawater, with salt. These are not things that might happen. These are things that are going to happen, and we're not doing anything to prepare for that, let alone trying to alleviate greenhouse gas emissions. It says here that our farm belt, the Midwest, is likely to be among the hardest hit areas. Uh, rising temperatures, extreme heat, drought, wildfires, and heavy downpours are expected to increasingly disrupt agricultural productivity and uh, there will also be declines in the quality of the crops and in their yield. There was an article in the New York Times today about corn now being grown way up in Canada. <laughs> the corn is as high as an elephant's eye, and that was Oklahoma. And now, Oklahoma ain't going to be the right climate. So there'll be this wholesale upheaval. And this will happen if you're a young person in your lifetime. Expect more flooding. Anyway, this report concludes thusly, the report that the Trump administration tried to hide. Quote, the assumption that current and future climate conditions will resemble the recent past is no longer valid. So what they're saying is, you know how we've been saying, all of us in our daily lives, this isn't like any spring I've ever seen, or the flowers are coming up two months before they did, or this is, the, you know how the weather's odd, weird, it is all over the place. And so there is no, we cannot, the report tells us, look to the past anymore to know what June is. You cannot, remember when you were growing up, you knew what the weather would be in February and March and June and when spring would come and when winter would come. Oh, there were deviations, but yeah, it was pretty basic. The farmers relied on it. Everybody knew what to expect, and the report says here, no more. No more. It's over. So the only expectation is the expectation of being 
surprised, I guess, or befuddled, or astonished, whether it be cold, or heat, or too much rain, or too little rain, or floods, and mudslides, and wildfires, that's what we'll be. And the fact that these dire warnings are coming out when our country is in the clutches of the know-nothings is, I think, reason for the pessimism reflex. Right? Yeah. Like people who have a brain in their head. We have a caller. Hello. Hey, Lynn, it's Roger. Hi, Roger. I'm not going to ask you how you're doing today. <laughs> okay. So how about you? You must have had, did you have a harrowing uh, holiday? Um, it was nice. Had family in. Had to make an emergency run to the emergency room uh, Saturday night with my wife, but everything's oh, good. Dear. Other than that, it was a nice holiday. Oh, my. Is she Okay. It looks like she's going to be fine. Um, just yeah, she'll be she'll be fine. Okay. We're, you know, we're just keeping an eye on her for right now, so okay. it's all good. Okay. But um, your your conversation about consume, 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 even though it's making we don't seem to be any happier because of it. Oh no. Made me think of something. Made me think of a conversation I was having with my daughter-in-law this weekend. Um, she's in fashion design and she's heading up a denim department for a Manhattan company. And her first day on the job was in China. (laughs) And, um, and, and it looked like everything was good. They got there working with, I think it's target and everything was working fine. She's got all all the suppliers and the design all done. And then Target says, you know, we want to, we, we need to cut our cost 20%. And she's from Canada. And I said, well, you just experienced what the United States has been going through for the past 25, 30 years. And now she's looking in Malaysia and, uh, and she's looking at third world countries. And I kind of ex- relayed the, what happened with Rubbermaid. It used to be a good old American-made company. Mm-hmm. And she was just appalled. She said, but what do we do? I said, I don't know what we do. And she's now, she's in her early 30s, and now she's in charge of something. And I think she's getting a firsthand example of consumerism gone awry. And it's very depressing. And she does not like doing this. But what she went, what the hell is she supposed to do? She needs to make a buck too, like the rest of us. It's a, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, it's the whole system. It's, I, yeah, you got to work in it or 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 not. I suppose some people can find some kind of work out of it, but yeah, most jobs make you a part of this insanity, right? Well, I mean, I have these conversations with people at work about. You know the minimum wage of fifteen dollars an hour, and I'm like, okay, let's say try to impress upon them. So, so even these people get these huge raises at fifteen bucks an hour. You and you work forty hours a week. I mean, or, you know, that's thirty thousand dollars a year. So you try is. living off thirty thousand yeah. dollars a year. Yeah. And and he says, yeah, but you know, but what about hampers? You won't be able to go out to lunch. I said, you mean you want to sacrifice? You want you want to make people working poor just so you could afford a hamburger at lunchtime? Is that your justification? And I don't, I, you know, I, how do we fix that? Because we we are addicted to cheap prices in this country. We love getting our sixty-inch TVs for four hundred dollars now well, versus right. getting a twenty-inch right. console for twice as much. Well, 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 we don't see that we're the ones. Our that we've been we've been uh, taught that we have power as consumers and we want cheap the cheaper and that that means that we end up impoverishing american workers even ourselves 
right? Eventually ourselves, even maybe our kids or our right. or, or siblings. Um, but you can't expect hey, the I, average person to sort of follow, you know, to connect the dots to, uh, you know, what Walmart ultimately means or what Amazon ultimately means. Because they, all they mean to an average person is cheaper prices and quick, you know, getting something quickly. Um, People don't want to feel that that they're complicit in, in the in pushing other people's standard of living down and down and down, and they will eventually push their own. I I don't know. I don't know what to say, but we've been well-trained. We've been well-trained to want what we don't need. We've been well-trained to want it so badly that we don't care if slave labor somewhere is manufacturing it and that the Americans who used to manufacture it for fair prices, um, are now without work. We don't care. We're, yeah. we're we've been brainwashed because we want. Yeah. This is I mean this is consumer capitalism run totally amok, and it is o- our only job. They don't want us to be citizens. They want us to consume. We're consumers. And Isn't boy, this all part of the grand plan of destroying us from the inside? Because that's exactly – I mean, it's in so many different avenues, we are su- successfully being just destroyed. Well, it's what – how do – what do we think of as success in this country? We think of money, right? Isn't that our measure of success? Um, yeah, I guess yeah, for, we, for a lot of people it is. Well, it, I think for most. You look up, people are looked up to for wealth. People clamor to get more. Um, that's the dream. And what we can't get through our stupid heads is that it has nothing to do with what's important in living a, a successful life. Right? It has nothing to do with that. It, it just seems like we compound that, I don't want to say argument, but that philosophy in the most terrible way. Because what I see is people supporting our current president and wealthy people and all their tax cuts, because, or if they, we find out they've hardly paid anything in tax cuts, even though they're billionaires, they say, well, they're they're just playing the system, and you know they're that that's they're playing by the rules. But the same people who will rationalize wealthy people not paying taxes will go will go after poor people, welfare people, and say we got to get them off the the, the this, this gravy train of of right. these takers of right. And it's like it, it, the argument's not cutting both ways. It's like well they're playing by the rules too. But you want to attack them. No, but the rules, wanna, the rules are made by the wealthy for the wealthy. The tax code is simply making uh, making rules that will allow the rich to keep often their ill-gotten gains and to not pay their fair <laughs> share. That's what. That's why. Yes, it's legal, so that billionaires don't pay any income tax. I, it's, I could it's, go it's, on for this yeah, forever, well, we, and I know we, you have to I have a quick question for you. Yeah. On a completely different topic. We weeks or months ago, we canceled our Post Gazette subscription, mm-hmm. and we've been getting the New York Times. And I have to say, my delivery has been spotty at best. Oh. And I just didn't know. I think you get the New York Times. So you have you, you get it successfully when you're supposed to get it, and when yes. it's a rainy day, it's not drenched. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. I do. You get, you get. I get excellent service. All right, because I'm because I, I mean it's terrible. It's terrible. So maybe it's just my distributor. So, all right. I just curious. Well, good luck. <laughs> good luck. All right. And thank okay. you. Thank I you hope your wife is and and brighten everybody else's day with my news. Yes. Oh. Okay. I hope your wife is feeling better soon. Thank you.
Oh. Thanks for the yeah. call. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Yiko. Well, okay, so this story that I saw that I want to share with you, it has to do with the blue wave and the blue wave in Texas. Now, granted, Beto O'Rourke didn't make it, but because he was on the ballot, so many Democrats came out and voted straight party that in the blue areas of Texas, namely metropolitan areas where blue people live, it was a literal wipeout of Republicans in Houston. I don't think there's any Republican office holder in Houston. <laughs> Houston, Houston, Texas. Listen to nearly every Republican, oh, nearly, okay, so I think there's one. Nearly every Republican in Harris County, which is where Houston is, lost their, lost the election in the midterm. Now, you might have seen a picture of all of these black women who all won judgeships. Have you seen that picture? All in Houston, 59 judges are now not only Democrats, but a huge number of them are black women. The essentially chief executive of the county, a Republican named Ed Emmett, who had won 83% of the vote just two years before, four years before, excuse me, was voted out of office. And he's sort of a moderate Republican and very good at his job. He was lauded for steering Houston through the hurricane and all that stuff. He's a very powerful, very powerful figure. I mean, being essentially the executive that oversees that entire county. He was unseated, get this, by a 27-year-old woman 27 year old woman who now will be running a metropolitan area that has close to 5 million people in it it is the third most populous county in the United States of America and it will now be headed by a 27-year-old woman who, by the way, has never attended a meeting of the county commissioner uh, where she'll now preside. I don't know if that's smart, but it is what happened. The more than I read about her, I got a little less freaked. But still, she's 27 years old, and she's never even cared enough to go to, you know, the very, to see how it functions, how it works. Um, she is an immigrant. She came here legally with her family from Colombia by way of Mexico just 13 years ago. She graduated from Stanford University and she also is pursuing a master's degree at Harvard. So she's no dumbbell. 
But she, I'm just telling you, the most powerful person in the Houston metro, the third most populous metropolitan area in the United States is there because of Beto O'Rourke, as are all those judges, all, all Democrats, a total, near total sweep. Houston. I hope to hell she's up to it. I myself, talk about paralysis, I would be paralyzed with fear. But I had not seen that, so I just wanted to share that with you. Good God. All right, you guys, that's it. I'll try to be a little more upbeat tomorrow. Uh, Susan will be here, so maybe, maybe that'll, she's more optimistic than I, usually. Have a good day. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.